Well, I want you to imagine that you worked really hard planting a tree in your backyard. You're thinking, man, I don't know if the grocery stores are going to be open. I need to plant a cool tree, maybe a peach tree. I think peach trees would be really cool. I never planted a peach tree. But I want you to imagine you got a peach tree. You plant it. You get it all nice in its little section of your backyard. You water it. You watch it grow. And within a year, you start to see some peaches and some fruit come on it. And then you find this. That's really gross. You find some bad fruit. And it's not just one bad fruit. It's not just one bad piece. It's all of the pieces. And they're all bad fruit. At that point, what do you do? Well, I actually don't really know what you do, just to be honest. I would probably take the peaches off and throw them away or get rid of them or take the apples or the avocados that you have in your backyard on that tree or whatever. Probably take them and throw them away and just start over. Well, that's what the Bible says too. When the Bible talks about us bearing fruit and us being like those trees, just like we've been talking about in the parable of the soils, it also says in Luke chapter 3, verse 9, Jesus said that right now, or this is actually Jesus, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Actually, John the Baptist said this, and what he was talking about is people who claim to know God, people who claim, he's talking to a whole group of people who they claim that they knew God. He says, but... It's only the people who've really repented, and not just the people who say they've repented, but the people who bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Those are the only trees that God is not going to cut down. That's the idea. God's going to come and cut down every tree that doesn't bear good fruit. And if your tree, so to speak, your life bears fruit that looks like this, just know that God promises he's going to come and cut down our trees. He's going to cut us down. It might sound really harsh, book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without good fruit, nobody's going to see God. It doesn't mean that you've got to earn holiness and earn a bunch of good fruit to see God, but people who are right with God, who trust in Jesus, those are people who bear good fruit, and those are people who, who are holy. The whole point of this weekend, going over the parable of the four soils is, I want you to identify which one you are. But it's not just good enough for you to identify which one you are. If you're the hard soil or the shallow soil or the thorny soil or the good soil, that's not the entire point of what Jesus was trying to say. He was certainly wanting to teach them where they were at, but he also wanted them to be the good soil. The same thing's true of you. I want you to be this good soil. And the good news is, even though you can't make yourself the good soil, you can ask God and God can make you this good soil. God can make your heart soft. That's why I keep talking about our hearts being soft to listen to what God says. And through his word, he says that all of you have the opportunity this weekend, tonight, tomorrow, whenever, whenever we have an opportunity to be saved from our sin. He doesn't promise necessarily that we're going to have tomorrow, but as long as we are on this earth, he promises that if you call on the name of the Lord, he'll be saved. Now, you'll be saved. That might seem like something that's a good deal because you think, well, I could just do it later. I could just do it tomorrow. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I'm coming and I'm going to I'm gonna come and I'm going to cut people down like a tree. So the reality is we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We also don't know when our last day will be. So I don't want you to bank on asking God to soften your heart later. I want this to be something that happens now. This is going to be the last sermon you hear for a while. Um, with this group together, with this group in person. We're not going to be doing that for the next couple weeks. We're not going to be having the narrow. 
um, in the same way. You're not going to be in your small group exactly the same for the next few weeks. Um, so I don't want you to think that business as usual is going on and because uh, it's not. But also, I don't want you to think that you can keep pushing God off and keep saying, I'm not going to become a Christian. I know we've been talking about that all weekend, but I want to take you back to this guy, the sower, the sower who's throwing soil on the ground. He throws it on a lot of types of ground, and there's one type of ground that's good ground. You can think of it as, you know, this, this dark, thick soil that is just really good and really deep, and you could just have a whole field full of it. The Bible says that some of us are like this soil, that when the seed is thrown on us, when the gospel is preached to us, we receive it with a good heart, we understand it, we seek to do what it says, and then we bear fruit. The idea of fruits, right, sometimes we talked about going to the grocery store, which if you go to the grocery store and try to buy stuff that was grown in the ground, it's called produce, right? That reminds me of the word produce, spelled the same. Have you noticed that? Produce and produce, right? One's just a noun and one's just a verb, right? Anything that is produce has been produced. Does that make sense? It's been produced from the ground is usually what we mean by that. They're plants or not plants, they're vegetables and fruit, right? That's produce. That's the idea. Well, God wants to produce in you, if you're a Christian, he wants to produce in you good works. That's a shorthand way of saying it. But he wants you to live like a Christian. And when you do, that's called fruit in the Bible. And that's where Jesus says, I want you to bear fruit. We've been talking about fruit and vegetables and trees. And you might be thinking, well, I don't even get all this stuff. Well, Jesus is using these as illustrations and analogies to talk about the way that you live, the good deeds, the good actions, the repentance that you show. That's fruit. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 13. I'd love for you to turn open in your Bibles. I want you to see this. Matthew 13, verse 23. We're just going to cover one verse this morning. That's all that's left for us. Covering this fourth soil. I want you to know how to be the soil, and also, if you are the soil, what your job is right now. Look at it. Verse 23 says, as for what was sown on good soil, that represents the good heart, right? the heart that's ready to hear what God says. This is the one who hears the word and understands it, okay? This is interesting. So they don't just hear the Bible. They don't just hear the gospel. They hear it, and they get it, all right? If I were to tell you, hey, I want you to explain the gospel to me. Tell me how to be saved. And if you're like, ah, oh, well, I'm not sure, like, I don't, I don't know. Well, that should tell you right here that you might have heard the word, but that doesn't mean you understood it. Okay? That's the two steps right here. Hear the word and understand it. Now what happens to this person? He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another case, 30, and another, or another 60, and another 30. So what this whole talk about a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, basically meant if I went out and spent one dollar on seeds, imagine that, spend one dollar on peach seeds, let's just say, or apple seeds, you know how many I could get for that much, but if I spent that much money, one dollar, and then I put it in the ground, and if it produced for me thirty dollars worth of fruit, that'd be a really good deal, wouldn't it, right? I spent one dollar, I got $30. That's a great return, right? That's what it means when it says 30-fold. If I had $1 worth of seeds, they got me $60 worth of produce to sell, that would be 60-fold. If I spent $1 on seeds and, and sold $100 worth of fruit, that would be 100-fold. Could you imagine having $1 worth of seeds put it in the ground and then watering it and letting it all grow, and then when it, in the end it produces 100 times as much money as you put into it? That's really good. Right? Usually, 
Farmers would be really impressed and really happy if they got a tenfold return. That'd be really good. What he's saying here is not only do Christians bear some fruit, Christians bear a lot of fruit. And even the ones that maybe aren't set up to bear a hundredfold, they're still going to bear sixtyfold. And maybe the ones that don't bear sixtyfold, they're going to bear thirtyfold. Based on the knowledge and the position that God has given you, he expects you to do that. That's why earlier in Matthew 13, if you're there, Matthew 13, if you look at verse, if you look at verse 12, it says, For to the one who has, more will be given. And the one who will have, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Think about that. He's saying to the one who has fruit and is bearing fruit, God's going to produce even more fruit. But the one who doesn't bear any fruit, he's going to take even the good things that he thinks he's doing, he's going to take that away too. This passage is talking about two things. If you see here, hearing the word and understanding it and bearing fruit. Those are going to be our two points today. The first point is this. I want you to trust in Christ with your whole heart. Last night, all of what we talked about was kind of half-hearted stuff. Right? Shallow soil. You're, you're kind of in it. Right? You're in it enthusiastically, but you're not in it for the long haul. The thorny soil was the people who heard the word, but wanted the world and the word. They wanted the gospel. They wanted Christianity, but they also wanted their sin. They wanted to do fun stuff. They wanted to do things that were sinful or whatever, or things that they thought were good. They wanted both things. It was half-hearted. That's why I want you to realize that this good soil person is the person who receives the gospel with their whole heart. Their whole heart. What does that mean, their whole heart? I want you to turn to a passage. You're in Matthew chapter 13. I want you to turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Hearing the word and understanding it and doing it. Trusting in Christ. If I asked you, like I said earlier, I want you to explain how a person can be saved from their sins. That seems like such a, I don't know, big, out there, scary idea. How can a person be saved? And if you hear the gospel, understand the gospel, and you're able to tell the gospel, that's good. But some of you can do that, and that doesn't mean that you are saved. I'm sure that a lot of you could tell me how to become a Christian, and then if I asked you, are you a Christian? You're like, no, 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 I'm not. I'll become a Christian later. I want you to look at James chapter 1, verse, actually, let's start in verse 19. It says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls." That sounds a lot like what Jesus was saying in Matthew 13, right? To receive the word, to receive it into our hearts. Okay, verse 22 goes further. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He says you can hear God's word and then think that because I heard it and because I know the Bible, you think, you trick your heart, you deceive yourself. Nobody's coming and telling you, hey, yeah, no, you're a Christian, you're a Christian, don't worry about it. Like, you're telling yourself that. I know what that feels like to be convicted and to feel that pit in my stomach when I'm listening to a sermon that I know is about me, and then what do I do? Lie to myself. Oh, no, you're fine. No, you're fine. Oh, it's not talking about you. It's talking about somebody else. Oh, then you start thinking of all the people that Pastor John must be talking about, but not about me, right? Don't deceive yourself. It says, 
people who hear the word and don't do it, they're deceiving themselves. Verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. I know it's camp, but at least you girls, you probably looked intently at your face in the mirror before you came here. Some of you, at least. You looked at your face. You said, something wrong. I'm going to do something. i got to do my hair a little bit. At least I'm just going to wear a beanie and then part my hairs both ways. I, I know like half the girls in the room have beanies on and their hair is like, yeah. Anyway, um, you looked intently at your face in the mirror and you did something about it, right? You didn't just look at the mirror and say, okay, cool. Yeah, that's great. Hair's all crazy, right? You got the bed head. You got that little lump, that little ridge that happens up here. It's like straighten it out and brush it, brush it, brush it, brush it, brush it until all your hair comes out on that weird brush. And you get one of those uh, like soft brushes. What What is it? Like the wet brush. Not a soft brush. <laughs> a wet brush. Those things are nasty. It takes out all your hair, right? It doesn't. It looks okay. <laughs> My wife looks like it takes out most of her hair. But maybe that's just how your, your hair comes out. My hair, I feel like my hair doesn't come out like that. Maybe I'm going to say that and I'll go bald one day. So there you go. Then you'll have the last laugh. That's right. Thank you, Joel. Um, Joel just got excited back there. When you look at your face, you do something about it if there's a problem. If there's no problem, just cool. Let's go out of the house. Okay? What it says right here is that the word of God is like a mirror that shows you what's wrong with you, and then it leaves you with an option. It leaves you with an option of either doing something about it or saying, ah, oh, that, that's not a pimple. No, no, that's not a pimple. I had this weird thing on my nose. Maybe you've seen it this week. I don't think it's a pimple, but it just has, like, started bleeding. It's like one of those things, like, right here, if you see it, it's right here. Um, on, when I were getting on the bus, like, it totally started bleeding. I got so mad. I'm like, oh, no, like, it's going to get on my white sweatshirt. Right? Um, I don't, I don't think it's a pimple. Maybe I need a medical professional to look at it. It's like when you cut yourself and then, like, it keeps bleeding. Anyway, um, when you look at yourself in the mirror, have you ever tried to convince yourself, that's not a pimple? No, that's just a, oh, no. Oh, that's a pimple. Oh, and then, then you try to pop it too early, and then it messes up your face, and it looks all red. All right, you'll get there. This sermon works for high school students. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember when I did that. Yeah. Anyway. If you try to convince yourself that there's not a problem, that is a problem. That's not smart. The smart thing to do is deal with the problem as soon as you see it. That's what he says right here. Look at verse 24. Here's back in James. James 1.24 says, For this guy, he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. Right? For people who go to winter camp, they know that they should become Christians, and then immediately when they get back home, they forget, oh, yeah, yeah, and then they just go on their day-to-day -day life and forget about it. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Look at verse 26. I wasn't even planning on going this far, but it says, if anyone thinks he's religious, if anyone thinks he's right with God, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. Right? Interesting. Even if you think you're a Christian or you want to convince yourself you are, Notice how the Bible keeps saying, well, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? You probably heard me preach about this, but you can't become a Christian based on what you do. Right? That's not how you step in. That's not how you go from non-Christian to Christian by doing some things, and now I can call myself a Christian. That's not how it works at all. But just know this. There is not a single person in this room that is a real Christian 
who does not obey God's word. Period. If you don't obey God's word, you're just not a, you're not a Christian. That's the simple way you can put it. You're one of these other three of the four soils. Right? I think that's why Jesus gives four soils because most people are not the fourth soil. They're not. What the stats in America say is that one out of three of you in this youth group are the good soil. And two out of three of you are one of the bad soils that will go off and live your life and leave the church. That's what the stats say right now in our country. Two out of three. That's, I mean, think about how freaky that is. That's terrible. That means either you or the person to the right or your left. One of you is a real Christian. And, and it's not simple like that, like math, right? But that's what the stats say. Right? Imagine that. That's what the stats say. That is, to me, that's really scary. And that's why we're preaching through this series in the four soils, because I want you to know which one you are, and I want you to do God's word today. Not next week. Not when you hear next, like today. So many of you are right on the cusp. And if you would just give up your sin, if you would just become doers of the word and say, okay, I, I'm going to live for Jesus today. I'm going to trust in him. I've, I've always kind of trusted that, like, if I do good stuff, like, that'll make me a Christian. No, like, today, trust in Jesus and we'll save you. Another passage I want you to turn to, John 15. We're going to turn to a couple of passages this morning. I'll just have them all on the screen. John 15, Jesus gives another illustration about himself. I want you to see how, in this illustration, as you can probably see on the screen, he is going to call himself a tree, a branch, a vine. This is a different illustration, so he's not trying to say the same exact thing, but he does talk about bearing fruit. In this situation, Jesus says, I'm the tree, and you're the branch. He says, I'm the tree, and, and you're the extension. I'm the vine, and you're the branches. You can kind of see on, this, on the screen that there's a vine action going on there. That's a big cluster of grapes. That's the fruit he's talking about that's on a vine. Imagine he's that, that vine, that row, and then Christians are the extension of him. That's what he's going to say. Check out John 15. Look at verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. Reference to the Old Testament. And my father is the vine dresser. Okay, he's giving an illustration. The vine dresser is the gardener. Okay? The person who comes and, and, and tends to the garden and cuts off some branches and, and makes a way for other branches. That's what he's talking about. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Right? We don't use that word very much, but prunes. What that means is to uh, harm it. Okay, that sounds weird. But to harm it in such a way where it will bear more fruit. Right? If there's branches that are going to get in the way of it bearing fruit, he's going to cause the, the plant some temporal pain, right? I know plants, like, don't cry when you cut their branches off, but um, sorry, if that's the first time hearing that, that they don't really feel pain like you do, right? But you you take care of it, you prune it, you har you do some harm to it to produce more fruit. He says the, the vines that, or the branches that don't, he just takes away. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Notice, it's about the word. It's about hearing the gospel, and he says to the disciples, I know, I'm confident you guys are saved. Right? He knows their hearts. He knows that specific group of people, right? This promise right there is not necessarily for you, right? It might be about some of you, but that promise right there that Jesus is saying is not specifically directed to you. He's not saying that, yeah, you're all Christians. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's talking to the disciples here. He's just saying, I know you bear fruit because the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4 says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Imagine you take a branch, 
of a tree, you lop it off, and you put it in your backyard. Is it going to start growing more fruit? No, it's not. It's not going to keep growing fruit if you took take a branch off, set it next to the tree on the floor. Uh, not the floor, it's the ground. Um, the floor is inside, the ground is outside. If you never thought about that, okay. Um, you put it on the ground, you put it on the lawn, in the backyard. It's not going to keep like producing all these good fruits year after year. It's just not going to do that because it's, it's, it's dead. Right? It's going to die. It's in the process of dying. Because you can't bear fruit unless you're connected to Christ. That's what it means to abide in Christ. The word abide means to stay. What do you mean stay? Stay in Christ. To remain in Christ. To be there. To be plugged in is the way that we've put it before. Verse 5 says, I am the vine. This is Jesus talking. It says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. Notice it's not just you and Christ. It's Christ and you. He it is that bears much fruit. So you want to know the secret to bearing fruit? There's, there's one secret. Trusting in Christ. That's it. Trusting in Christ. That is the, the secret because you cannot bear fruit without trusting in Christ, without being connected to him through faith. Because for apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about that. He says, if I was to disconnect myself from you, you would stop bearing fruit. Even Peter, even the apostle John, even James, even the, those core guys he's talking to, even them. If Jesus disconnected himself from them, they would not be able to bear any fruit. It says, for anyone, for anyone does not, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. That's a clear statement that if a person is not bearing fruit, right, it doesn't mean that they, wow, that person, bummer, they didn't earn their salvation, right? That's not how it works. But if you're not bearing fruit, that means you're not connected to Christ, which means that you're not a real Christian. A real Christian means you're connected to Christ. What happens if you're connected to Christ and you abide in Christ? You're going to bear fruit. He says the, the branches, it's really easy to spot, that aren't bearing any fruit. Guess what? It means, it means they're not connected in a healthy way. So they're going to be disconnected and thrown into the fire. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Right? This is like over and over again, the whole bearing fruit. And I want your attention to be called to these different times in the Bible where it talks about bearing fruit because I want you to see and never give up on this. Real Christians bear fruit, period. You will find people in Christianity who will say, no, like you don't have to be, like there could be Christians that they, they, they pray to prayer when they're seven, but then they live their life, but like they're going to heaven because they pray to prayer when they're seven. doesn't matter they didn't bear fruit. No, Jesus says so clearly, if you are a branch that does not bear fruit, he's going to cut those branches off and throw them into hell. Clear as day. Right here, verse 7 through 10. Because if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Right? You might have said, that's really intense so far. Well, if you're keeping Jesus' commandments, you're connected to him in his love. Says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I right, say, so this was really hard to do. I don't want to do this. Verse 11. It says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What's going to make you happy? Stuff? Popularity? People? Getting married? Having kids? What's going to make you happy? What God's word says right here, is that keeping his commandments is what's going to make you happy. That being connected to Christ through your obedience, through your love, through your faith in Christ, that 
That's it. And if you don't believe it, you don't believe it, right? It's, it's right there. Some of you might say, yeah, I believe that. But the way that you live, just like we've been talking about, might not match up with that. Trusting Christ, being connected to him. Back in Matthew 23, that first part said hearing and understanding, right? Trusting, turning and trusting, and then bearing fruit. This is point number two. I want you to follow God's word with your whole heart. Trust in Christ with your whole heart and follow God's word with your whole heart. Not a divided heart, not a heart that's loving this, loving that. Your love for Christ, it needs to be the top. It needs to be the thing. Bearing fruit. It happens when you hear the word, you understand the word, and then point number two is when you act on the word. You follow God's word with your whole heart. I want you to turn to one more passage. This passage right here. Galatians chapter 5. You might know it. Galatians chapter 5. The one about the fruit bowl. With the strawberries and the cherries. Those are the only two fruits I see in there, so it's not a really cool fruit salad, but uh, it's something. Beats a donut. Galatians chapter, well, yeah, I know, sorry, it doesn't really beat a donut. If you go to some donut places, they have this on top of the donut. So you can have both. Galatians chapter 5, check it out. Verse 22. Another time the Bible talks about fruit, and it's actually talking about the same thing, which is awesome here. The fruit of the Spirit, you might have heard. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he gives a list. He says, but he just listed a whole bunch of what he calls the fruit of the flesh. He says, things that people do that if they're going to live for me and live for myself and live for my own success and pleasure and popularity, these are the things that they're going to do. These are the attitudes they're going to have. These are the heart motives they're going to have. And these are the actions that they're going to do. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's what he says. He says people who live in their sinful lives, that is what they're going to do. That's what's going to happen. And those are the things they're going to do. That's a fruit of the flesh. If that's what you're going to live like, that's what you're going to do. If you follow your heart, you're going to be angry. You're going to be an idolater, sorcerer, enmity, strife. Notice how much of this is like relationship conflicts. Enmity, strife, divisions, fits of anger, jealousy, all those things. Those are people not getting along. Other things are indulging their sexual appetite, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, all three of those. That's the fruit of the flesh, when people do what they want to do. Now look at verse 22. This is the fruit of the Spirit. People who have God's Spirit in them, these are their heart attitudes and their actions. First one is love. Love. Think about what does that mean, love? Christians love, or they should, because right here it says that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. How can I know that I'm living a holy life? How can I know? The fruit of the Spirit is really helpful for that. Am I showing love? My siblings? Parents, teachers, coaches, am I showing love? Putting other people first, that's what love really is. Putting their needs before yours and serving them. Or is it all about me, me, me? Second one is joy. That's a fruit of the Spirit, joy. Really being genuinely and lastingly happy because of things that are bigger than your happenings, things that are bigger than your situations. And that's what joy is. That you can really be 
full of joy. And I don't even want to use the word happy because it's different, but that's the best word I can use, happy. But like, not happy in every situation, not happy about everything, but just a generally, a person who, because you trust in God, you don't have to be freaked out or worried. That's joy. Next one, along the same lines, peace. Am I anxious? Panicky. It says the fruit of the Spirit is peace. That because you set your mind on the truth that no matter if you contract a virus and die, or you never go back to school, or you stay in eighth grade till next year, I'm going to be at peace. Because God's in control. How can, how can, that seems impossible, right? How could I be not freaked out about that? For the Spirit is peace. Patience. When things don't go my way, when things are hard, when things last longer than I want them to last or they're harder to do, and I'm going to be patient. Slow to anger. Next one is kindness. That, that's talking about how you act with other people. Kindness means more than just being a nice person who waves and says hi and smiles. It's part of it. It's a small part of it. Kindness means actually doing good to people, putting their needs before your own. It's a lot like love. Next one is goodness. You don't like bad things, dark things, bad words. They don't excite you. They don't, they don't make you, oh, I want to I wanna pursue that. I want to watch that bad movie. I want to listen to that bad song. Goodness is like, I don't, I don't want that. Faithfulness. That means constantly doing the right thing, not just being excited for a little bit and then bailing, but being good time and time again, even when it's hard. Gentleness. When we want to be harsh, we be gentle. Next one might be the biggest one, self-control. That you control your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, your actions, your fists, all of that stuff. That really escalated quickly there, right? Um, Fists, but controlling yourself. If there's none of that in your life, you're not showing these fruits of the Spirit, and when you look up at the top, you're like, wow, actually, when it comes down to it, yeah, there's a lot of strife in my life, a lot of fighting, a lot of divisions, a lot of envy, me wanting stuff other people have, and a lot of jealousy, a lot of me pursuing whatever I want to do, whatever makes me feel good, a lot of laziness, a lot of idolatry, me putting things above God, me thinking, yeah, I'd rather play my video games and read my Bible, a lot of that, right? idolatry, putting stuff above God, Saying, I'd, I'd rather do this thing than, than go to church, right? Putting things above God. If there's a lot of that and not a lot of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want you to assess that again today. Think about that. It says, against such things there is no law. It doesn't mean there's no rules, no speed limits. <laughs> if you're a loving person, right, you don't have to follow the speed limits. That's not what it's saying, right? What it's saying is, if you do all of those things and you do them well, that's, that's all that it takes to live a godly life with people. That's, that's what it is. That's the law. And those who belong to Christ, verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You've taken your sin. You've taken your planned on sin, right? Some of you think, oh man, the reason I'm not repenting is because I want to do sin in the future. Taking all of that and saying, I'm going to crucify it. Right? Some of you wear crosses. Some of you know what a cross looks like. It's that T-looking thing. It's where Jesus died. Think about it. What is a, cru- uh, a cross? What does it do? It kills people. It's a torture device. Right? It's like a, a machete or a knife or an electric chair or a guillotine. 
big knife that draws. It's, like, it's meant to, it was designed to kill people. Right? So when we say we crucify the flesh, that means you take all the, the bad, sinful desires you have and say, I'm going to give those up and I'm going to crucify them. I'm going to watch them die. Let's watch them die. Just remove myself from those and take on these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to anger or envying one another. That's good fruit. I want us to look for that good fruit. And I think many of you are the good soil. And those of you that are the good soil, you can see this fruit. And maybe ask your leader if they see this fruit in you. Sometimes it's hard to see it in ourselves. It's a helpful thing to ask our leaders or to ask our parents, hey, you know, I've been professing faith. Are you seeing any of this fruit? Like, I, I want to see this fruit. Have you been seeing it? And hopefully, if they're honest with you, they might say, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. Maybe for some of you, they'll say, yeah, I am seeing it. I knew how you were before, and now you're, now you're acting different. Right? That's encouraging. I want you to think about this. Ephesians 2.10, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. Ephesians 2.10 says that Christians are God's workmanship, the thing that he made. Right? Our workmanship is not just like something that he invented or created. God created everything. He invented you know, everything. So like, it's all that. But this is a special kind of creation. This is like how you know you might write a lot of papers in school and write a lot of paragraphs, but you carefully craft a text message to send to your crush. It's very carefully crafted. You've read it. Your friends have read it. Your whole cabin's read it. You sent it to your parents. You sent it to your proofreaders, right? And you're about to. I'm just kidding. Um, but it's carefully crafted, right? You use a lot of words and you create you create a lot of sentences. But this one is is a special creation that is. Perfectly designed for this purpose, right? Maybe you've never done it. Maybe you're just like, hey, I like you. Um, that's great. Whatever. Um, but here's the idea. We are his workmanship, a special creation of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What were you made for? You're made for good works. So the whole reason God saved you is because he wants you to do certain things. He wants you to follow like this this stepping stone path. He's created you for good works, which he's prepared beforehand that you should walk in him. You ever go out on this field and it's all sloppy and you're like, where should I put my foot? Um, I don't want it to sink. Like, and then you're like hopping from one like dry spot to another dry spot. Right? Imagine if right through the middle there was just this stepping stone path. It was just boom, stone, stone. And it's all perfectly dry. And you can make it through the big soggy field to go get your stuff, right? All dry. I want you to add another element to that. Remember yesterday when it was really foggy? I want you to imagine that you couldn't really see beyond the next step. All you could see was one step at a time. It's all this fog, and you're walking through the middle, and you're like, I can't see anything around me. All I can see is this next step. That's kind of what this is referring to, that God has created for you steps of good works that he wants you to do. You don't know where it's all going to lead. You don't know every step along the way, but you can see the next one. You do know what the next one is. And what God's telling Christians to do through Ephesians 2.10 is to take those steps and walk in them. Honestly, when I was preparing this sermon, I didn't think I would talk about this because I didn't think it would be such a big deal. Um, but in the last couple of days, um, the world has changed a lot with this coronavirus. Um, 
And because of that, you're all out of school and sports are probably canceled for most of you, right? Some of you, yeah. Unless you like do weightlifting and that's not canceled. Um, that's not a sport though. Golf's not a sport either, so it's fine. No, it totally is, actually. I'm just totally going to be honest with you. It's totally a sport. I hope the golf courses don't close. I actually had that thought. I hope they're not. I don't know. Your, school, your schools will be closed. And one of the sad things that I have to announce to you right now is that the Narrow is actually going to be closed for the next few weeks. We are um, not going to be able to meet at the church anymore uh, for the next uh, few weeks. So it was good that we left when we did because we got to do camp, right? That was really cool. Uh, but the next few weekends, we're not going to be doing sermons and business as usual. Uh, we're going to have sermons, but they're not going to be in 120 East. We're not going to be playing ping pong. not going to be having smoothies. Um, we're not going to be able to do that. Um, but we are starting a new series in the book of Philippians. We're going to continue the series, Spiritual Superpowers. Here's the deal. Philippians 4 is the chapter we're going to cover till the, basically till the end of the year. We'll do one more thing at the very end. But through all this crisis, it's funny because God has given us one of the best chapters in the whole Bible for us to study. So I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4 right now. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Things are going to look a little different. I'll be doing a video. Maybe I'll be in my house. Maybe I'll add some fun elements Maybe Alexandra will join me. Maybe I'll be eating macaroni and cheese. Maybe I'll, I'll grow out my facial hair until we have TNN again. Dude, that would be so funny. I don't want to do it, though. Do it. Okay, yeah, now that you said, now that Diego said that, I'm doing it. Uh, no promises. If my wife says, I don't like it, you're shaving it, then I'm shaving it. So take it up with her. She likes it? Okay. Oh, man, now I'm stuck. Now I'm in trouble. Can I, can I at least, like, shave my neck, though? I, I don't like that. My wife says yes. So there you go. What am I even turning to? Philippians chapter 4. You ever turn to your body? It's like camp. You're just like, where am I going? What did he say? Philippians chapter 4. I want you to read verse 2. Check it out. It says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche, two ladies in the church that were really important. He says, I entreat you. I command you. Agree in the Lord. It says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. This fellow worker is Epaphroditus. Remember how we talked about how he was carrying the letter and he got all sick and he recovered and they thought he was going to die and all that stuff, right? That's what happened to Epaphroditus. Now Epaphroditus has got this letter and Paul says, hey, we've got to find a nickname for Epaphroditus. It's just too long. Sorry. Uh, what? EP. Hey, EP. Uh, Epaphroditus. EP. Hey, EP. You've got you to gotta help these two ladies who are important. He says, they're so important that they actually worked in sharing the gospel with Paul and Clement, who became a really famous pastor after Paul died. It says, tell them to agree. The first spiritual superpower we're going to talk about next week is unity. You can have unity, which is a spiritual superpower. The world is not united. People have a really hard time uniting. 
Usually they unite around things that they don't like about another group of people, right? So I guess you can unite in some forms. But the Bible says that Christians can have unity that is, it's almost like a superpower. That you can get groups of people who hate each other. Groups of people who don't even like each other. And maybe you've grown up and maybe that person that you've grown up with at our church, you've always been an enemy with. The Bible says that you can be their best friend if you're in Christ and if they're in Christ too. Look at verse 4. I'm going to keep reading. This is sermon number two. This is in two weeks. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, except for when coronavirus is happening. No. It says, again, I will say rejoice. Christians, we're supposed to rejoice always. Always. Good times, bad times, health, sickness, rejoice in the Lord. Always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be be known to everybody. The Lord is at hand. You want your rejoicing to be part of your reputation. You want people to know that, yeah, all Christians, they, they rejoice even when times are hard, even when times are bad. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything except for coronavirus. No. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It doesn't say, don't worry about anything because there's no issues. Don't worry about anything because, ah, there's no problems out there. You know, Bob Marley, don't worry, be happy, right? No, that's not what he's saying. He's actually saying, right, there's plenty of things to worry about. He says, but you shouldn't be anxious about anything because you ought to, as a Christian, as a good soil person, take everything that you're worried about to God. Take every last thing to God in prayer, by prayer and supplication, asking him for things, and also thanking him for things. And if you do that, it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, finally, brothers. This is now verse like or sermon number like 3. Oh, I had to t- list the superpowers. The first one is unity. The second one is joy. That's the second superpower. Rejoice in the Lord always. The third one is peace. Right, that you don't have to be anxious. That's spiritual superpower number three. Spiritual superpower number four, I don't know, we might be back in the narrow at this point, but spiritual superpower number four comes from verses eight and nine. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Good things thinking about things. You know that you can have thoughts that are good? Sounds weird, but you can avoid bad thoughts. If you think about good things, you can fill your mind with good things. You can stop thinking about bad things. See, the problem is when we all go to our homes and we're not at school and we're not in our normal lives, you have a lot more time, right? Here's the, here's the problem, though. When you have a lot more time, you have a lot more time to do bad things. When you've got nothing going on, it's really easy to get into bad things. What Philippians 4.8 says, I want you to think about good things. Whatever is true, honorable, just. We'll talk about that week four. Spiritual superpower number four is righteous thoughts. So I'm not going to read the rest of Philippians 4. We'll cover those later. But I just want to talk to you about some things that are going to be changing. Um, one thing is the sermons will be online, um, so I'll be posting stuff. It won't look like me standing at a pulpit. It'll probably look like me at a kitchen table or at my house or my office or whatever. Um, that's what it'll look like. 
We won't have TNN this week. We'll reassess on that and see when we can meet on Wednesday nights for TNN. Not sure when that's going to happen yet. Um, but something that you have that I want every person in this room to be in, if you're not, is that those DBR group chats, okay? You know how you just like, I don't have time, right? Guess what? No excuses now, right? <laughs> no excuses. I got time now, right? Here's the deal. I want you to use those DBR group chats to do more than just talk about the daily Bible reading. What I want you to do in there is I want you to talk about what you're doing today. Right? Just what you're doing today. I might even throw something to the guys like, dude, I'm just, I'm hanging. I'm at home. Just had mac and cheese. Made myself some mashed potatoes. I want you to talk not just about what you're reading in the Bible. I just want you to talk about what you're doing. Because that's interesting. And your friends want to know. And if, and if, look, if you're, if your group chat turns into a meme battle, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Right? Just know this. Just know this. They never go away. So, yeah, I know. You added me to a meme group chat. There's another thing that I want to talk about. Um, if you're in train, I'm going to be doing videos for train. So that'll continue. Um, that'll all be the same. Yeah. Also, um, what I want to talk about this is a little different, is because we got a lot of time, I think one of the cool things we can do is take advantage of all the time we have by memorizing some Bible verses. So I'm going to work on something that I'll announce later about some Bible verse memory challenges that I'll have going, that if you do, when the wave passes, that we'll do some fun stuff if you can get all those verses memorized. So I'll let you know about that later. But I don't want you... To be afraid, I don't want you to be freaked out. I want you to do what Philippians 4 says is to pray. When you're freaked out, pray and act, right? There's a lot of things that we can do to try to keep ourselves healthy, right? Don't lick your hands and stuff. I don't know. Stuff like that. All right, guys. We're going to talk in small groups. I want you to think through, for some of you, um, if you think I am a good soil person, and I know that because I've been showing these fruits of the Spirit. We're going to read from John chapter 15 again, Galatians 5 again. We're also going to turn to Ephesians 2.10, and I want us to think through some of the good works that God has prepared for you beforehand, right, in this weird time. What are some good works that I can do that I know God wants me to do when I get home, and when I, when I mean get home, I mean really home, right, what are some things I can do at home That'll be pleasing to the Lord. So let's pray for that. Let's pray that God would help us figure out those things and help us do it. So let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you've kept us safe up here. You know, it feels like usually we take that for granted or at least a little bit more for granted than we have this weekend. So I pray that we continue to be thankful for every good gift you give us. We know that Every good and perfect gift that you give is uh, its all you. So we appreciate that. And I pray that these next couple weeks, as life looks a whole lot different, uh, that we would grow closer to you than we ever have, that we get rid of our excuses and get rid of our reasons for why we don't spend time in your word and we don't pray. I pray that we just get rid of those excuses. And as we do that, and as we adjust to um, life being a little bit different for a while, I pray that you would help us trust in you. For some of these students, I know that 
they've never trusted in you for salvation, and they might be freaked out, and they ought to be. If we're not friends of you, if we're your enemies, we're not in a good place. There's nothing we can do to convince ourselves or deceive ourselves or to say that we're not having a problem. We do have a big problem. Pray that those students would turn from their sins and follow you for the rest of their lives. Pray that they make that decision to trust you this morning. That they wouldn't wait till we get on the bus. They wouldn't wait till we get home. But they'd make that decision this morning and they'd talk to their leaders and they'd, they'd pray with their leaders and they'd ask their leaders insight on their, their lives and their assessment of their spiritual fruit. Pray that you'd help us do this. In Jesus' name, amen.